Hey everybody and welcome back to the Off The Key Podcast. I'm your host Mac and today I'm joined by my two regular co-hosts, Garrett. Take a look at these hands. And James. Hello. And today for our third installment of Off The Key Essentials for 2022, we are discussing Garrett's first pick, Remain In Light by The Talking Heads. Now Garrett, tell us why you've picked this album. Well. This is an album for me that I have worn out, and in normal OCD-like fashion, my typical listening experience is that I will wear something out until I can no longer listen to it anymore. This has this album has the weird phenomenon that it has not gone anywhere. They could torture me with this album, and I would just smile through it all. They could play this for like 24 hours all day, like a week and I would just not be bothered and I do not know how or why but this album just really kind of never gets old and it's simple yet complex and layered and it is quirky it's fun it's one of the most danceable 80s records in a decade of a lot of danceable beats and records and I think it's a really good pop rock and blends a lot of other genres together and I wanted to do a pop album but I wanted it to be a more rock album to mirror my tastes I want and I wanted to talk about this anyway so it was kind of a perfect storm of things to kick off my selections Alrighty, well before we get into that we are going to have a brief overview of Talking Heads so if you're wondering Talking Heads were a New York City-based rock band formed in 1975 by David Byrne on lead guitar and vocals, Chris Franz on drums, Tina Weymouth on bass, and Jerry Harrison on keyboards and rhythm guitar. The group is regarded as one of the most critically acclaimed bands of the 1980s as they played a pivotal role in pioneering new wave music. Now, you might be wondering, what is new wave music? Because it's always kind of been a, a blanket term, kind of a catch-all term for alternative punk styles in the 80s i feel like i feel like it's mainly categorized by the guitar that really quick staccato like almost kind of disco it's like if disco kind of went punk and post-punk a little bit that is what i picture like new wave that and with some background sense accompanying it that's what i really picture in my mind when someone says new wave yeah i was going to say the synths are also a big part of New Wave, as well as innovative and experimental percussive elements. The percussion is a big part, to me at least, of the sound of New Wave. Yeah, now, generally speaking, New Wave is defined as a catch-all term for the pop-oriented styles of the late 70s and 80s, and it's kind of an umbrella term for the popular music styles of those decades, including you know power pop, synth pop, there was like ska revival. A lot of times people would refer to it as kind of the counterpart to post-punk because it did really emerge from the punk rock movements that were going on before. And it usually has a more pop-oriented sound. Like it'll take the aesthetics of something like punk and, you know, and the DIY work ethic and mix it with world music, you know, like Afrobeat or funk or, you know, some kind of dance music or disco with a heavier emphasis on electronic music and unique percussion, like you guys were saying. I've always seen New Wave as like a parallel, like a simultaneously growing movement alongside post-punk. Because, you know, in the post-punk and 
in the 80s and the late 70s, you had people like Joy Division, Susie and the Banshees, who we have talked about on the show before. Television. Television. Um, a lot of really important and pivotal bands to the sound of the 1980s. The Cure. Yeah, The Cure. But you also have on the other side bands like The Talking Heads, The Smiths. Flock of Seagulls. Even like Pet Shop Boys a little bit. I think it's an underappreciated genre. I've always seen it as an amalgamation of a lot of the new and experimental things that were happening starting in the mid-70s and into the early 80s, including all those genres that you already listed, Mac, but also hip-hop. That is true. Hip-hop played a big role in New Wave. That is true. Talking Heads actually borrows a lot from early hip-hop, especially on Remain in Light. You know, the style, the singing style that David Byrne approaches on this album he has gone on record to say that he was inspired by the early beginnings of hip-hop. And this is because during this record, he was struck by one of his biggest bouts of writer's block that he ever had, where he could not think of lyrics, and his writing style really clashed with the way they wrote the music for this album. The music for this album came out like it had a good time at all came together pretty seamlessly and then when it was burns time to put lyrics to it afterward he was just like man it does not really fit with how i typically make these songs at all so he's he really had to just reinvent the way he went about his his lyrical creation and he a lot of the spoken word from africa and like the rap he kind of took that approach to it and then kind of combined it with how he used to go about things and it made this. Yes, Remain in Light was born. Now, Remain in Light is actually their fourth studio album beforehand. So they actually formed in 1975 and their debut came out in 77 in the emerging New York punk scene. And that album, I'd say that album is generally very like acclaimed. I don't think they have a bad album. I really don't. I, I mean, I, I don't think I don't think all nines and tens, but man, they have a very very solid repertoire. I'd have to agree, but one thing that I do want to note about the three albums that came after their debut is they were all produced by the legendary producer Brian Eno. Mm-hmm, yes, yes. Bri- Brian Eno worked them with them extensively for the three albums following seventy seven and including Remain in Light, and I think he was a pretty important creative force to what made those albums so great because i mean at this point in their career they've had four albums already they've been around for about five years and it's been an impressive run yeah and he kind of gives it that that overall sound of the sense and he's a big influence on how an album turns out sonically he's also a big influence when it comes to having bands create space with their music even if it's really like rock or up-tempo or layered and chaotic he still manages to give it the space that a song needs to not get over cluttered and he's a real pace setter when it comes to comes to working with these albums and that's what i think the tongue has really like needed in their formation it really pushed them into new grounds without really without really like making the album making process too strenuous because they didn't really have a difficult time with this creating this album, except for you know Burns' lyrics, and they were that's for the most part of their career they never really had an album that really just tore them up or wore them out. They genuinely had a pretty easygoing time making these albums. The sound engineers would beg to differ. Actually, one 
quit after an argument because of the pace at which they were recording things and trying to get sounds done. Yeah, they kind of pushed that onto them a little more than they should have. Yeah. And they're like, oh, God, this is great. And it's like kind of the interns in the back. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but Brian Eno is certainly a legendary producer. He's worked with the likes of David Bowie, uh, Coldplay, U2. U- U2. We actually covered one of the albums that he was involved with. Yes, uh, we talked about U2's critically acclaimed 80s album, The Joshua Tree. Yes. Check out that episode if you haven't. Now, speaking of another collaborator with David Bowie, there is a fundamental collaborator with the Talking Heads on this album and in future albums to come, and as, as well as their live shows, Adrian Ballou. The man, the myth. A, the legend, yes. A very prestigious guitarist that traveled around, was a part of numerous bands and numerous massive albums. I mean... King Crimson and that three album run, David Bowie and like Station to Station and his like little two three album run there, Cheek Your Booty with Frank Zappa, Frank Zappa which I think is a classic and a, as well as a tan. And then on this album and the next one, Speaking in Tongues, he just came in and recorded all his parts super quick and gave really interesting solos and. Gave it an edge that I believe the album needed. Great collaboration. Absolutely. Adrian Ballou is a monster guitarist, and in my opinion, one of the best guitarists of the 70s and 80s. He really was kind of a mercenary where he was he would look around, pick a project, come in, just shred his butt off in like a week, and then just leave. And then it just fit perfectly. A true session guitarist. Yes. There are a lot of those guys out there. Oh, you need me to play this? Okay. yeah we'll we'll probably talk more about those in a future episode yeah yeah we do plan on changing up the content next year so look forward to that we'll have an announcement about that later but anyway back to the episode now with remain in light the biggest thing that brian Eno and the band wanted to accomplish is they wanted to dispel the myth that the talking heads was just a vehicle for david byrne and nothing else. The backing band, they weren't that important. David was all the charisma and the talent of the group, and that was it. So what I find interesting about Remain in Light, at least in my opinion, when I went back and listened to the records before it, I found this one to be a stark contrast from their sound Yes, up to this point. I mean, they, they kind of went 180 on this one. Personally, I think the instrumentals on this album, they're the main event. Yes. David, as funny and quirky and Pretty iconic as some of these lyrics are, I think the loops that they created for this album are the main attraction. Because in a lot of songs in their previous content are kind of sparse. They don't have that layering. They don't have that extra percussion. They're very post-ish and bare bones. Not in a really a negative way. I still they're good songs, but they don't have near the layering. The complex layering yes. that this album has. And near the production on them, they're very much that new wave, post-punk tracks, just pretty simple and to the point. All of these tracks have a lot of layering, and not just percussion layering, guitar layering, vocal layering. This album is kind of unique with how it's put together and the fact that it's put together almost like an electronic album, like a house album. It is just compiled of all these loops of varying instruments. And a lot of times the song will go on and these loops are added 
as it they, progresses. They add layers to the lube. Yes. They were essentially sampling themselves and creating sampling really before there was sampling. Like super advanced sampling anyway. Yeah, exactly. What's really fascinating about this album is all of the instrumentals are loops of live instrumentation. We kind of talked about that with Daft Punk 20 years later incorporating that, and that was groundbreaking at the time. But these guys were taking ideas like that in the 80s and trying to make danceable tracks out of it, which is just like mind-blowing to me. The first half of this album is absolutely scalding hot. It is a 100-mile-per-hour train ride that does not stop. When I first listened to this album, I thought it was pretty good, but it really took me like a second, third listen to really just absorb everything that's going on yeah, this one instrumentally. Was, indeed. I have to agree. This one was kind of a slow burn for me at first. Now, I've heard this album before we did this discussion, and um, honestly, I wasn't as hot on it before, but listening back to it again, I listened to it about three or four times this week. I gotta say, I cannot get enough of the instrumentals on this album. Now, David's vocal performances, I think, suffer in a couple of places, mainly, in my opinion, the overload and houses in motion. Now, the band was really influenced by world music, and but mostly African music. Yeah. And not only the lyrics, but also the beats. There's a lot of Afro beats in here, and Byrne himself is very inspired by Fela Kuti. If one of the unfinished outtakes from the recording is literally called Fela's Riff, a big influence there from African music. This album was born with the intention of honoring African music and Afrobeat, and the album is oozing with all of that influence, and you can hear it most certainly in the percussion. The percussion on this album is excellent. It is so creative and catchy, groovy. This album would be completely different without the percussion that it has. Yeah, I fully agree. The percussion and the backup vocals and the, that vocal layering really makes a lot of the album. In parts, it kind of carries it, to be honest. It yeah. really carries some of the songs. It's certainly the opening track, Born Under Punches. The Heat Goes On. Yes. That song's fantastic. What do you mean? I did not, not by the percussion. I did not like that song at first, it's, at first listen, to be honest. But second, third listen, I became a big stan. It's just, at first, Burns' vocals kind of threw me off. This is probably his quirkiest delivery of them. The hands of a government man. Like, he's just kind of all over the place. But then it gets to that, the heat goes on part, and it's just, oh, man. That really sets the tone for how the rest of the album is going to be. For me, it was the percussion that drew me into that song initially, before anything else. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, the percussion goes off on this album in general. I mean, Cross-Eyed and Painless, I love the drum beat on that album or on that song. Cross-Eyed and Painless and The Great Curve are like two of my favorite Talking Heads songs, period. Oh, yeah. The Great Curve is my favorite track on the album and possibly my favorite Talking Heads song. The Great Curve, honestly, is... You, you can go back to the old soul days of like Sam and Dave and James Brown and even Otis Redding. You go back, guys, I'm telling you, go back and listen to live performances of James Brown, Sam and Dave, Otis Redding. This song sounds exactly like those performances. Real fast, high energy, wild song that goes on for 
ever. One thing I wanted to note at the very end, that solo at the end, is that Adrian Blue? Yes. Okay. All, I was so, all solos in, in this album are him. Okay. Because the great curve solo, like that ending bit in like the last 45 seconds, oh my gosh, that makes the song for me. Yeah, it's insane. The thing about Adrian is that while he was as much of a mercenary session guitarist as he was, he brought enough of himself that he's recognizable. He's not just a plug and play duct tape and WD-40 guy that just like fits in seamlessly. He still has his own brand. I mean, that, you know, the synthesizer pedals and all the crazy sound effects. One of my favorite sound effects that he does in a few King Crimson songs, and I don't really know how he does it, and it sounds like seagulls in like Listening Wind, those like really just crying, just high pitch sounds that he's making. Seeing him do it live is kind of hypnotic. I'm sure guitar techs could like break it down, like what exact pedals he's using, but it's very interesting to me. A lot of his solos are why, especially like the guitar on Born Under Punches is so weird. It is off kilter. There's a lot of loops in this album that if you take them apart and you listen to the the masters each individual part you're just like how how the hell did he come up with this especially once in a lifetime if you listen to the isolated tracks what was the thought process behind putting this together if i had to describe remain in light in three words it would be quirky but danceable because you can really dance to it any way you want you can be stupid you can be rave like i mean look at david byrne when he performs this album oh my, oh my god, god. <laughs> man out here dancing like a word <laughs> dancing dancing in the big suit while performing these songs live is just another kind of odd <laughs> but it's so funny he had, he really just delivers funny quirky lines that even when he kind of sounds not great vocally doing it you're still just like that's pretty cool. He he has an impressive amount of charisma for a front man. Yes. I will give him that. When you look at David Byrne, you're like, this. there's no way this guy is like a yeah. super charismatic and fun front man. Even his talk singing parts, like I love in Cross-Time Painless when he's talking about facts don't do what I want them to, and he's just rambling on. It's just so fun. You really get kind of swept up into it. You don't really stop to think, oh, he's doing this or he's doing that. So the big hit, Once in a Lifetime, in my opinion, has one of the best vocal tracks on the album. And it's mainly because the chorus melody is so catchy. I believe they had the hardest time coming up with this song because they really had like a bunch of pieces that they didn't really know how to fit together. His vocal delivery bridged a lot of those gaps. But like the synths are great. The bass line is like super simple. A lot of these lyrics on this album, they really have kind of like two categories that they fall into. There's... The African style of writing, like the great curve, where it takes a lot of like African symbolism, like the world moves on a woman's hips, and just kind of like those African, those like mythologies, the symbolism, kind of tracks like that. Or there are tracks about certain aspects of modern society. There's a lot of talk of doing things in life and not really thinking critically about them or wondering why. And this track in general, I mean, it's, he's asking himself, like, I'm doing all these things and then. I blink and then I wonder, how did I do this? Why did I do this? You know, how did I get here? You know, oh God, what have I done? It, houses in Motion kind of follows that up. He's doing all this work and seeing all these houses, and but he doesn't know if he's ever going to make it. I'm doing enough just to keep living. The lyrics are kind of powerful at times, despite the silliness, yeah, I guess silliness you could say. of how he does it. Listening Wind. Well, that is a ballsy song to make about, like, the mind, like, a terrorist, what he's doing, like, from his point of view. 
I was actually pleasantly surprised that I kind of looked deep into this album. Like, wow, there's some pretty serious stuff here. You peel off some of the pages. I think you can enjoy it without really delving into the lyrics, but yeah. if you do, it's a lot more rewarding. Yes. After that point, after Once in a Lifetime, I feel the album slows down a bit. Not in a bad way. The pacing really, really slows down, and it goes into more of a post-punk vibe, more more of a droning sound in a lot of a lot of the songs. The lyrical content is still there, and there's still a lot of danceable tracks. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, it's only eight tracks, and you know, most of the songs are anywhere from like four and a half to five, six minutes. So it's chock full. Also, want to shout out Tina. Bass playing is so simple, yet she leaves so much space, and it's still so funk. The bass playing on the great curve and houses, and especially houses in motion. Dear sweet baby Ray, that is just crisp. The like modulator pedals that they're using to make it all funky. Oh yeah, she played exactly what was needed. Personally, I didn't bring my cap, so I can't. <laughs> I can't hold up the cap, but <laughs> it's here in spirit. Yes, I I love this album. I think it's fantastic, but. My least favorite song is still Seen and Not Seen. Oh, yeah. Oh, same here. Agreed. It it goes back to what I said about Spiderland when we covered the Slint album and uh, an opinion that I've had over several of our reviews. I don't like spoken word. Some people do. I feel like more people don't if it's a I whole do. song. David Byrne does a lot of spoken word over this album and a lot of like kind of rap-esque delivery, but it's in places. But here he decided to do the whole thing. I think the instrumental is still good enough, still kind of funky enough and good rhythmically that it makes up for it. So it's not a bad track, but I will say it is the mo- it is easily the most forgettable track here because it doesn't do as much as everything else around it does. Yeah, that's that's really my main problem with it. It's not necessarily the spoken word vocals. It's underwhelming given the insane high quality that we get for over half the album. I really wish they would have brought Adrian in to do some kind of guitar sorcery on this one because I feel like this would have really spiced it, it up to it bring it on, needed, the, on par with it, the rest of them. It just needed some more. Maybe yeah. another track or two. Possibly just a different different choices made for that track. I wish so much that they would have done something with Fella's Riff. Oh, God. It made yeah. that into a track. Because that is just such a crazy little ditty. That it just, There's a lot of potential in that. I'm like, I wish they would have fleshed out, found some way to put a catchy chorus or a hook to it, and maybe even replaced it mm-hmm. with Seen and Not Seen. But I don't, really, I don't really think that's all that necessary. As far as the historical context of this album goes, one thing I've always seen with Talking Heads before I dived into them is, you know, every freaking music review outlet, every music critic that I can think of dick rides this group like their life depends on it. They're probably one of the most critically acclaimed bands of the 1980s. That kind of gave me this impression that the Talking Heads were going to be this pompous, pretentious, like, ooh, you know, I'm surprised on first impression when I did finally dive into Talking Heads that they were as enjoyable as they were. And there's really a big debate on what their best album is. There's like a really big camp that says that it's this album, and there's a big camp that says it's Speaking in Tongues. I think Speaking in Tongues is right up there. If someone wanted to give that album a 10 or something, say that it was the better album, I could see that. I personally disagree, but I could see it. I mean, that's just how solid both of those two albums were. They kept the lyrics simple, and they kept the moving parts simple, but it's how they put it together that really made it work. Yeah, not to mention how frequently they changed up their sound. You know, 
going forward after Remain in Light, they didn't come back to the sound ever again. I will give them props for keeping it creative and constantly mixing it up. I also think that this album is a very good indicator of what was to come. 1980, a lot of things, a lot of changes going on in music right now. It's it's pretty much the end of the arena rock era. Like, yeah, you you would have hair metal and everything coming later, but this is a very transitional period from the 70s to the sound of the 80s and post-punk movement. The hardcore punk the movement. hardcore punk like movement. Like, so many branches the, of punk came out in the 80s. Yeah, exactly. The, the second British invasion would be coming shortly yeah. after at this point. And I think this is a very good point of reference for how the decades were changing. There's a nice little fulcrum of... Yes, fulcrum. That's what I was looking for. It's kind of mind-blowing because when I first listened to this album, I didn't really pay attention to the dates. And if you would have asked me on first listen where to date this album, I would have said, oh, you know, about 83, 84. But the fact that this was worked on and primarily put together in like 79, 80, blew them on. Yeah, they were trailblazers, and many people credit Talking Heads with pioneering a lot of the sounds that would come out of the new wave and punk music movement. I would argue the 80s in general as well, just the general 80s sound. Yeah, the 80s, generally speaking, focused a lot more on electronic music, incorporating that into old sounds, you know, like rock music and punk and all that good stuff. We got, you know, a lot more danceable stuff like synth pop, Power pop, new wave, a lot of stuff going on. And this is not to say that Talking Heads were the only innovators at this point. There was a lot of other people too, and a lot of other things going on. But this album here, so. yeah, they they played a pivotal role, and Remain in Light unquestionably influenced a lot of people in the eighties. And I looked back at when this album came out initially, and and you know, critics were pretty on the money with it. Like they were basically like, "Yeah, this is the new sound of the eighties. This is the sound of the future. We're here." It was also a big subgenre explosion, if you really look at it, especially from a rock standpoint. That late 70s, early 80s period just had so much experimentation and rewriting the rules within its own genres. I mean, you start having like subgenres of subgenres. It's also important to note that a lot of the these sounds weren't created in a vacuum. There was a lot of the things that they were doing now had kind of they were kind of trickling into the sound even from the late 60s and early 70s yeah i mean yeah you take a look at pink floyd you know dark side of the moon had that is synthesizers huge synths all the time that was in 73 so this was just the point at which all of these sounds kind of came together and everyone just embraced it embraced it and pushed it along i think we've pretty much discussed the album as far as we can go. Anything you guys want to say before we get into our final thoughts? Talking Heads, I think they're a special group, but they haven't always been my favorite group, so this is more talking from an objective, like, historical perspective, but I think the Talking Heads were pioneers and trailblazers of the sounds that would proceed throughout the 80s. They were truly a creative and innovative band, and I really, really, really enjoy Remain in Light and its quirky danceability, its layered percussion and instrumentation, and its overall embracing of African music and sound. And I highly recommend it to anybody looking for something a little off the beaten path, but still very danceable and easy to listen to. Remain in Light 
I would honestly recommend to almost anyone. This album is such an amalgamation of so many genres and sounds and ideas. It really can appeal to pretty much anyone as long as you love music. Rock, soul, R&B, funk, jazz even, dance music, disco. If you're a fan of any of these or all of these, you will love this album. It is an essential for any lover of music. To conclude our discussion of this album, I want to piggyback off of what Max said. This album is layered and requires multiple listens, but it's also easily digestible at the same time. But this album walks that line, and I think that you'll like you'll like the instrumentation, you'll like the rhythms, you'll you'll like the pace of this album. But then the more you listen to it, the more you'll like about it. You'll start noticing the lyrics, and you'll start noticing you know, some of the quirky things that they do, their recording techniques. I also think this is a rare album where everyone shines. You can point to different parts and saying, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's David Byrne doing different, you know, vocal techniques. That's, you know, Tina doing simple bass riffs, but also creating space with her notes. Oh, here's the layered percussion. Here's, you know, Adrian Ballou's unique solos. This is an album where they had a clear goal. They did it 100%. They knocked it out of the park. They wanted to change it up. This is what we want to do. We want to include all the music that we're listening to. We want to include African music, Afrobeat, rap, funk. funk. Burn said, I want to change up my writing style. I want to do more of talk singing. I want to do more spoken word. I want to do more rap-esque delivery. They said, we want to create all these layers. We want to sample ourselves. And they hit it right on the head. And that is a mark of a highly successful album when a band has an idea and they do exactly what they wanted to do. Regardless of whether, you know, it may have been a good idea, it's a great effort when you do what you set out to do and you feel satisfied yourself with what you did. And I think this album takes all of my favorite things, riffs, rhythms, and catchy hooks, and good lyrics, and combines those into a nice soup. And like I said earlier, this album has not gotten old for me. I don't know if it ever will be honest it's just it's one of those that's up there it's just danceable it makes me feel like dancing and i'm not a big dancer personally but it makes me feel like dancing like an absolute buffoon and that's remaining light ladies and gentlemen Alrighty. well any final thoughts well this is off the key essentials and we're out of here thanks guys here and i just wanted to give a shout out to lacrembo for the intro and outro music also check out our link tree for where to follow us we are on instagram and facebook and a variety of streaming platforms
And if you could give us a sub or a listen or even a follow, it'd be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. See you later.